All right. Hey, good morning, Flourishing Grace. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, excited to be here um, and excited to um, kind of open the word with you all. Um, before we get into the word this morning, for those of you who are brand new, maybe you're tuning in for the very first time. Um, man, my name is Josh and I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision. Just want to say welcome. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, for those of you who have joined one of our awesome house churches that meet throughout all of Davis County, uh, man, I'm glad that you have found, um, even in a small way this summer, some community uh, where you can do life together uh, with some people and you can open the word together on Sunday morning. You can fellowship together, uh, break bread, uh, have some communion together. It's a great, great place to get plugged in. If you haven't gotten plugged into a house church community uh, here at Flourishing Grace, you can find all of the information on our website, flourishinggrace.com org and get plugged in there. We're also rolling out something special uh, this week. Um, in this weird time of um, kind of figuring out what to do during this pandemic, during COVID-19, as we're watching the numbers here in Utah rise and trying to figure out man, how, how do we lead well through that. Normally, during the summer here at Flourishing Grace, over the past few years, we've started this tradition uh, that we call Summer Together, uh, where people here at Flourishing Grace plan um, these awesome events, and we all kind of join in and do these uh, things together, um, where we kind of build some camaraderie with each other and just grow in our relationships with one another. But this summer, right, we're not supposed to be together. We're supposed to be social distancing. And so um, while we may not be able to kind of foster that type of um, communal growth for you this summer, what we can still foster is, is a spiritual growth in you. And so we're going to do something different this summer. Instead of doing summer together, we're going to do a summer of growth, summer of growth. Um, and so uh, what you can do on our website is you can go to flourishinggrace.org slash grow together, flourishinggrace.org slash grow together. And what you're going to find is you're going to find several different options. And so we're going to be offering um, several different groups, and they're all studying different things to help you kind of grow in different areas of your life. Um, and so there's one for marriage um, that you, is going to help you grow in your marriage. There's one kind of in stress and anxiety. For those of you who are maybe um, dealing with an extra measure of stress and anxiety right now, just kind of figuring out, trying to figure out, man, how, how do I process this? How do I deal with that? Uh, we have a group for that. Um, we have one that's uh, growing in prayer. We have one that's growing in spiritual disciplines. Uh, we have one that's growing in uh, your understanding of the mission of God and your role in the mission of God. And so we have these amazing, uh, they're not really classes, they're, they're, they're gatherings. And so we're going to gather every single week on Wednesday night uh, via video. Um, so so for wherever you are, maybe you're on vacation, as long as you can hop on uh, the internet, you can join us. Uh, there's, a, there's a reading that goes along with it. So you're going to be kind of reading together, gathering together, um, discussing. There's going to be a leader who's going to be walking you through this every single Wednesday night. Um, and so... We really want to spend the summer um, just kind of fostering and growing together. Here's what I want to challenge you to think about, okay? When this is over, and it's, it's going to be over, friends, I promise, uh, there is an end to this whole COVID thing. Um, it's going to end. How do you want your life to have been spent during these months? When you look back and you say, man, that season was crazy, do you want to say, that was crazy and it was hard and that's kind of the end of it? Or do you want to say, that was crazy, it was hard, but I grew more in that season than I had for years and I have the years since. 
Here at Flourishing Grace, we want to provide you with a community and a space for you to be able to foster that, for you to be able to say that, kind of look back months from now and say, man, that was time well spent. I didn't waste it binging on Netflix or um, just kind of cooped up in my house or whatever. I mean, I spent that time well. We want to foster that in you. Um, and so I want to challenge you this morning as your pastor to take the next uh, couple months seriously. And each month, you can, you can have, you're going to have an opportunity to kind of pick another kind of uh, pick another bucket, pick, pick another one of these uh, electives. And so let's say this month, you're man, I, I need the marriage one this month, right? You know who you are. You're like, I need the marriage one this month. But I really like the idea of growing in prayer. Well, do marriage this month and do prayer next. We're gonna offer these for the next three months here at Flourishing Grace. And so you can actually do this three different times and pick three different, three different ones. And so I wanna challenge you, just do one at a time. Don't, don't try to do more than one, uh, only one at a time. I know that might be hard for some of you, um, but go online, flourishinggrace.org, grow together, slash grow together, flourishinggrace.org, slash grow together. Um, you will see uh, there in uh, all of these different options, you can read more about them and you can sign up for one of them. And then if you see another one that you really like, well, do that one next month. If you see two that you really like, you can do that one, the third one in the third month. Uh, we're going to do this for three months here at Flourishing Grace um, and as we kind of do this together. And, and, if, and if the COVID things get, gets better, uh, maybe we'll be able, be able to do this kind of in person in some way or form. And so, but right now, this is how we're going to be doing it here at Flourishing Grace. We're excited about it. We think it's going to be great. Our staff's fired up. We can't wait uh, to dive into that with you. Hey, we're going to receive our offering and we're going to dive into the word. And the offering here at Flourishing Grace is for those of us who say, this is my home. If you're just watching this and uh, you have no idea what Flourishing Grace really is. You've never attended here on a Saturday. You wouldn't say this is, or on a Sunday. Uh, it's so weird. Uh, you, you wouldn't say this is, this is my home. This is my home church. Man, don't, don't worry about this. For the rest of us, uh, we're going to give online. We're going to give at flourishinggrace.org uh, slash give. Uh, we can also give through the Church Center app for those of you who have that on your phone. I'm going to pray for our offering and we'll receive it. Um, and then we're going to dive into the word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, I pray that you would be lifted high this morning, that your fame and your glory and your renown would ring through our house churches, through our living rooms, our kitchens. That wherever we are, wherever we're watching this or listening to this, that we'd be captivated by the beauty of your word, we'd be in awe of the gospel, that we'd be encouraged by the work of Christ in our lives to pursue you more, to give more of ourselves to you, that you'd be our chief joy, our chief delight, and our chief treasure that we would release our grasp on the things of this world and we cling to Christ and Christ alone. I pray for this, um, this season of growing together. I pray that you would use it to do a mighty work in our lives. And for those of us who, th through the past few months, man, we've seen our, 
marriages begin to struggle, we begin to see anxiety and stress increase, we begin to see our disciplines slip, we begin to see um, man, a deeper need for prayer in our lives, we begin to see, man, I need a greater purpose in my life. Man, would we just pull out our phones right now and, and sign up and begin to work to restore what has been broken, to begin to strengthen the areas of our life that need to be strengthened. I thank you for the work of Flourishing Grace. I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for all of those who have contributed financially to make it happen. Bless this time as we open your word. We need you. Draw near to us. Show us. Teach us. Praising your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, friends, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. We are in this series uh, called In the Presence. And over the past few weeks, we have been um, slowly kind of unpacking this idea. Um, and we're going to begin to get into the part this morning that may maybe some of you have been waiting for. A little bit, a little bit more practical this morning. Um, what we've seen so far is, um, man, what is the presence of God? Right? We know that God is always present. He's always near. He's always, he's everywhere at all times. He is everywhere. But there's this manifest presence that we see throughout Scripture. This, this kind of God showing up in our midst, in the midst of his people, in the midst of a leader, in a unique and special way. This manifest presence of God. And when that happens, there's this outpouring of flourishing. And the longer that that is sustained, the longer that the people can kind of lay hold of the presence of God, the longer they can sustain that continual presence of God in their midst, the greater flourishing they experience, the greater joy, the greater pleasure they experience, the longer we can sustain the presence of God in our life, and the more we're going to experience joy and pleasure um, and flourishing when the longer we can sustain the presence of God in our life. And so last week, we kind of saw, hey, uh, throughout Scripture, there's this very clear pattern of the presence of God being driven out. And whenever we see the presence of God being driven out of the lives of the people, idolatry is usually, almost always, the root cause of this. As the idols are brought in, the presence of God is driven out. As the idols are brought in, the presence of God is driven out. And we looked at this last week, and we saw I mean, how, these, how, how the people of, of ancient Israel, I mean, how, how they would turn their attention, they would turn their affection towards the idols of their day. Towards the idols of their day. And we talked about how, I man, when we begin to bring in the idols of our day, the presence of God is driven out of our lives. It's driven out of our culture. And whenever we look around and we see lives that are crumbling and culture that is burning, that when the world is burning, we know the presence of God has been driven out. And as we kind of step back right now, we turn on the news, we look around, we say, okay, the presence of God has left the building. It's gone. What are the idols of our day that have driven out the presence of God? Last week, we looked at some of these idols, some of, some of these things that we would call idols of our day. The idols of our day are not like the idols of ancient Israel. The idols of our day might be some things like, um, man, our money, our possessions, um, man, our, our, uh, our comforts. Man, are we willing to sacrifice comfort man, for the sake of others? 
Or, or is me and my comfort this thing that is more important to me? An idol is anything, anything that becomes more important to me than God. Anything that becomes more important to me than God. And it's one thing to say God is the most important thing in my life. It's another thing to actually do the work of examining and kind of stepping back and peeling back the layers of your soul and saying, is God the most important thing in my life? So many people would say, oh yeah, God is the most important thing in my life. So, so many people who have no relationship with Jesus would say, God is still the most important thing in my life. But when you begin to peel back the idols of their life, or you peel back the layers of your, their soul, you begin to see the idols of their life. Without this real hard work of kind of setting aside time and kind of putting ourselves to the test, this deep work of self-examination, you'll never really know. Unless you really know, what are those kind of five things for you that tend to kind of creep up the list of things you love, that kind of tend to kind of get out of their place, that kind of tend to, I begin to love this more than I love my kids, and more than I love my spouse, more than I love my God. Until you really know what those five things are, the ch- chances are, man, you are loving those things more than you love God, and you don't even know it. You don't even, you don't even know it. So we must pull back the layers of our soul and begin to kind of look around and say, man, where are the idols in here? As I said a minute ago, the idols of our day could be things like work, right? We begin to serve our work rather than our work serving us, putting in long hours in order to gain more money. Our identity, how we're viewed by others, how we're seen by others, the clothes we wear, the car we drive, the house we live in, um, what we post on social media, all of this kind kind of created so that people will see us in a certain way. It can quickly become something that is more valuable to us than our relationship with the God of all things. Our comfort, I said it a minute ago, our comfort um, is, is a huge idol of our day. We want what we want. We want it now. I want to be served. I don't want discomfort, right? The last thing I want is discomfort. I, I refuse to sacrifice my comfort for others. We've seen this so clearly recently in our culture, man, right? Uh, right now, we are being asked by medical professionals to wear masks when we're out in public. And so many people, I've heard people say, man, man, it's just, it's just hot, it's muggy, it makes me sweat, right? I, 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 you can't, people can't understand me. I can smell my own breath, which is disgusting and gross. I will give you that, right? But then people are like, no, 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 but people are dying because of the spread of disease. I know, but it's uncomfortable. No, 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 people are dying because of this disease. No, no, I know, but it's uncomfortable. You, you may have an idol in your, in your life if that is if that's the case, right? These are the idols of our day. We can, we can go on. Uh, maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your computer. Maybe it's retirement plans, your security, your money, your house, your sleep. You know who you are. I just need my sleep. If I don't get my sleep, right? These things can quickly become the idols of our day where, and I love this thing. I treasure this thing. I value this thing. This thing is more important to me than God. Now, you wouldn't say that. Because you're watching this, if you're part of Flourishing Grace, you would say, man, I'm a Christian and and God is the most important thing in my life. Until you've done the hard work of true introspection, you wouldn't say that. It's actually a good thing. It's a good thing. I said this last week. It's a good thing when we can begin to peel back the layers of our soul and say, you know what? I actually do love this thing more than I love God. It's a good place to be. Because only then can you begin to rid that idol of your life. And here's what I want you to hear today. In order to seek the presence of God, we must 
rid our lives of the idols of our day. In order to seek the presence of God, we must rid our lives of the idols of our day. Now, last week, we talked about how the idols of ancient Israel are a little bit different than the idols of our day, right? In ancient Israel, when they would bring in idols into the temple or build these high places up on the mountains, right, they would bring in the idols of Baal, the idols of Asher, these false gods. They would, they would fashion them out of gold and silver and bronze and little wood carvings, and they would bow down to them and worship them in order to advance the human agenda of their day, right? This is how they got crops to grow. This is how they got babies born. This is how they um, fell in love. This is how they advanced. This is how they got wealthy. This is how they possessed nations and won battles, right? They, in order to advance the human agenda of their day, I mean, they, they would bow down to these little trinkets. Now, in our day, we want to do the same thing. We want to advance the same things. We want love and we want babies. Uh, we want to win wars. We, we want to uh, have wealth and possessions. We, we want to have flourishing in our life. But rather than bowing down to idols, right? We attach idols to our heart. We begin to serve all of these little things that we think are going to produce us the things that we want that are going to advance our human agenda. They would manipulate the gods of their day in order to produce these things in their life, in order to advance our human agenda. We manipulate the system of culture of our day and bow down to the system of culture in order to advance our human agenda today. However, this morning, I want to make the case, I want to make the argument that while the Idols may look very different. The way the idols are destroyed, the way the idols are ridded of, is actually the same. The way the idols are destroyed, the way the idols are ridded of, is actually the same. And I said earlier, right, if you want to experience the presence of God in your life today, you must, you must identify and rid your life of the idols of your day. And the way that we do that is the same way they did it in ancient Israel. Let's take a look. If you were there with me, Deuteronomy 9, 21, let's go. Here's the, the background of this text before we read it real quick, right? So this is kind of the most famous or one of the most famous idol stories, right? Um, we talked about it a little bit last week, um, the golden calf. So the, so the people of Israel are led out of slavery in Egypt, right? God does all these amazing things. The sea parts, manna from heaven, water in the desert. Right? All of these amazing things are happening. And then Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he's gone a little long. He's in the presence of God, right? Ten, com ten commandments, Charlton Heston, Mount Sinai, thunder, lightning, smoke, right? Up there. And he's gone for a while. And the people begin to say, man, well, what if he doesn't come back? What are we going to do? Where are we going to, I don't know, how are we going to feed our kids? What are we going to do? How, how are we going to win these battles? How are we going to find this promised land? We don't know where we're going. We don't know where we're doing. We're in the, we're in the desert. What are we going to do? And so they do what is normal for the culture of their day. They want to advance their human agenda. So what do they do? They fashion an idol. They melt down all their gold. They create the golden calf. Now, Moses comes down from the mountain, and this is, we, we didn't talk about this last week. Moses comes down from the mountain, and he sees what's going on. Here's his response. It's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 21. Here's what Moses says that he did in that moment. He says this, Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, grinding it very small, until it was fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. All right. 
So here's what Moses does. He comes down from the mountain. He sees what's going on. He takes the calf. The first thing he does is he burns it. He melts it down, melts it, and then that's not enough. He begins to smash it. But that's not enough. He grinds it into very fine dust. That's still not enough. He throws it into the brook, into the river. Now, this brook would have been known as the Brook Kidron that flows from down from Mount Sinai, down the mountain, into this great valley, right? So the picture that we see here is Moses kind of bringing this idol to nothing and then ridding it as far as he can from the people. Now, what's fascinating about this is that we see this same picture throughout all of the leaders, the good leaders, at least, in the history of the nation of Israel. One of the things that inspired this whole series is as we as a church, we read through, if you're reading with us in our daily Bible reading plan, which you can find on our website, flourishinggrace.org slash Bible, if you're reading with us in that daily Bible reading plan, um, a month ago, we were in uh, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Okay? And as I read through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, what you see, especially like the latter part of 1 Kings and all of 2 Kings, is this pattern of kings who you have a, the, the bad king comes in and he brings in all the idols. He builds these high places up on the mountains. He brings the idols of Baal and Asherah into the temple of God, right? And, and all the flourishing le- leaves the land. It's just, it's just terrible, 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 terrible. Until a good king comes in. And the good king takes all of the idols out, brings down the high places. Um, and, f- and the presence of God once again comes back and flourishing comes. I want to show you real quick. What happens each time these kind of good kings come in, what they do with the idols of their day? I want you to look with this. Um, we're going to look at this in 1 Kings. The, the first one is King uh, Asa. And this is in 1 Kings fifteen eleven. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land, and removed the idols that his fathers had made. He also removed Micah, his mother, from, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah, an idol for Asherah. And Asa cut her image, cut down her image, and burned it at the brook Kidron. So we see this king doing the same thing Moses did. He comes in, he rids all of the idols, he burns them, and then dumps them into the brook Kidron, the same brook, the same river that Moses would have dumped the golden calf into. I want to show you another one. This is King Josiah. This comes from 2 Kings 23, 4 through 6. In the king, King Josiah commanded Hilkiah, the priest, and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple... Of the Lord, all the vessels made for Baal and for Asherah and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the brook Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he disposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and all the hosts of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kedron and burned it at the brook Kedron and beat it into dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. 
So here we see the king, King Josiah, bringing, he, coming in, beginning his rule as king, removing all of these idols, stripping them out, burning them uh, in the field of the Kidron, right? And then dumping their ashes in the Kidron or dumping their ashes um, in other places. If you skip down to verse 12, I'm going to give you one more, and then you'll see where we're going with this. Verse 12, same story, same king, says this, And the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars of Manasseh uh, had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke into pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. Okay. Clearly, there's a pattern here. And there's actually more. This is, just, this is just three, right? You see Moses and these two kings. There's actually more of this where, where the kings of the day, the rulers of the day, take an idol of the day, destroy it, and dump it in the brook Kidron or burn it in the field of the Kidron, okay? Again and again and again, we see this. The brook Kidron um, is, this, is this river, right? A small brook. It, ro- it flows kind of um, northeast out of Jerusalem down into this massive valley, the Kidron Valley. And so uh, it's kind of this example of taking these things that were in the high places and the holy places, reducing them to nothing, bringing them to nothing, fine dust, as small as I could possibly make it. I'm destroying it to the best of my possible ability. And then I'm going to dump it in the brook, which is going to wash it to the lowest place that I could possibly take it, to the bottom of this deep valley. Complete ridding of these idols. Now, some of you are saying, hang on a second, Josh. I I thought you said, I I thought you said that the way that they destroy their idols is the same that we destroy our idols today. And I'm pretty sure, Josh, at the beginning of this, before you started talking talking about these kings, before you started talking about this brick kid drum, before you started about, talking about Moses and, and the golden calf, before you said all that, you said the way that they destroy their idols is the same way that we destroy our idols today. Um, I think we might have a problem, Josh. First of all, the idols of our day aren't usually physical things. They're attached to our heart. They're these thoughts and these ideas and these lusts that we attach to our hearts. Um, how are we going to reduce that to dust? And, and there's no brook Kidron, right? Are we going to all go to Jerusalem and somehow dump this in, in, the, in, the, in the brook? Like, what, what are we going to, how is that possible? Like, where is the king of our day that's going to come in and mash these idols up and throw them in the brook Kidron? Let me show you something that's fascinating and beautiful. What are we going to do? Many of you know that the beginning of the crucifixion doesn't start on the cross. The beginning of the crucifixion of Christ begins in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus goes to pray on the night that he's betrayed and he's arrested and taken into custody. This is the kind of the beginning of this, of this epic scene. And I want to read to you what happens right before Jesus goes into Gethsemane. This comes from John 18 verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. 
Jesus doesn't go to the Garden of Gethsemane because it's some random place. He doesn't go there because it's quiet and he wants to pray. He doesn't, there'd be plenty of quiet places to go. He goes to the very place where the idols of ancient Israel were burned. He goes to the very place where the idols of ancient Israel were reduced to dust and thrown in the river. Jesus is our idol-crushing king. Jesus is our idol-crushing king. The very place where the kings go to crush and destroy the idols of their day is the place where Jesus goes to begin the process of crushing and destroying the idols of all days. This is no mistake. This is no, this is no coincidence. This is no happenstance. Jesus begins the process of destroying the idols of your heart, destroying the idols of your soul in the field of the Kidron. He goes to reduce them to nothing, to wash them away from you by his own blood. Jesus is our idol-crushing king. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 6, 10. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, Jesus, by his death, by his death, has brought death to sin. He's crushed it. He's reduced it to nothing. He's, he's made it into dust. Therefore, therefore, do not let it reign in your body. Don't, don't invite it back in. Jesus is our idol-crushing king. He's removed the idols from us. He's removed the idols of all days from us. Therefore, do not let it rain. Don't bring it back in. Don't bring it back into the temple. Don't bring it back in to the, what Jesus has made holy. Don't defile it. Every time, every time we, we begin to attach the idols of our day to our heart, we're diminishing the gospel. Every single time, we're trampling on the completed work of Christ. Jesus is our idol-crushing king. He's reduced them to nothing and washed them away by his blood. Therefore, don't invite it back in. Don't let it reign in you. Don't, don't let it overcome you. You've been set free by the blood of Christ. Why would you enter again into slavery? Jesus is our idol-crushing king. So, how do we not let sin reign in us? I want you to look back again at verse 11 in that Romans 6 passage. Paul says this. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. 
you must also crush the idols of your day. You must also put to death sin in you. You must also be the one who is working to identify and see these things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of Christ in you, by the power of the presence of God, be constantly driving out the idols of of your day. Christ is our example. Christ has shown you how it's done. So let's take a deeper look. I want to shift gears for a minute. So you've kind of seen this kind of overarching idea. Let's get a little bit more practical, okay? Let's get a little more practical. I want to read you one of my favorite passages where Jesus describes, and how do we do this? Uh, By his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how do we kind of begin to identify the idols of our day, identify the idols in our soul, and then then rid our lives of them? How How do we do that? And I'm going to warn you, it's a, it's a longer passage, but it's a beautiful one. It's one of my favorite texts. It comes from Luke 12. It'll be up on the screen. You can flip there in your Bible if you want. Luke 12, 16. Jesus is going to tell a parable, and he's going to explain that parable. Here's what he says. And he, Jesus, told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Let's stop there for a second. Let's just hang on. I want, you to, I want you to stop for a second. I want, you, I want you to ask this question. What are the idols you see in that text? What are the idols you see just, just in that parable? We'll, we'll just pull some of them out. What, what are they? We see the idol of wealth, right? He has this land and it produces bountifully, right? He's like, okay, what am I going to do with it all, right? I'm going to hoard it for myself. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. But that idol of wealth is creating other idols, right? He says, he says, I'm going to say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, right? So I have this, I have wealth, right? You laid up for you for many years, retirement. I have retirement. I have rest, relax, comfort, eat and drink, safety, security, and be merry, happiness. So many idols are found in that text. There's probably more than I just, than I just kind of rattled off. So many idols of our day are found in this text. Here's what Jesus says. Here's the next piece, verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, Jesus is going to go on to explain this and unpack this. Here's what he says in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, 
How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have a little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, that is a whole nother sermon, right, for another day. I wish, I wish we had I wish we had the rest of the afternoon to just unpack that text. It's one of my favorites. It's amazing. There's so much there. I just want to give you two things because we're already out of time. Two things. Number one, how do we rid ourselves of the idols of our day? How do we do it? There's two things that I see here. Number one, we crush it. We kill it. We remove it, right? We reduce it to dust. We must kill the idol of our day day. Here's what Jesus says, right? He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. The moment, the moment that these things become attached to our heart, we see it coming, here it comes, or you kind of do the work of self, um, kind of self-evaluation and introspection. You peel back the layers of your soul and you look in, you say, I think I may love this thing or those things more than I love God. They become more important to me than God. It's time to kill it, to destroy it. If it's a possession, sell it. If it's a job, quit it. If it's a person, leave it. Not your spouse, but if it's a person, if it's a friend, a person in your life, leave them. Leave it. You must remove it completely, totally, absolutely from your life. You sell it, you give it to the needy. You rid your life of it. I think this, this possession is more important to me than God. Rid your life of it. Reduce it to nothing. Say, but Josh, then I wouldn't have it anymore. That's right. You wouldn't have it anymore. That's the goal. That's the goal. Find something that you love less. If it's become your identity, right, and kind of the way you dress, the clothes you buy, the car you have, the house you have, your social media, shut it down. Close the social media accounts. Sell the clothes. Give it the proceeds to the needy, right? Reduce, reduce, reduce. You can rid your life of the idols of your day, whatever it is. I want you to remember, go back. Unless you rid your life of the idols of the day, the presence of God is not going to be there. If you want to experience the presence of God, you must do the work of ridding ridding your life of the idols. So I ask you this, when was the last time, when was the last time you identified something as in your life as an idol? You actually named it, you called it out. You said, this is an idol. You confess that to a friend or to your spouse. You said, I have an idol in my life. You named it. I, this, this has become more valuable to me than God. When was the last time you said that? If you can't think of a time, then your life is filled with idols. If you haven't done the work of self-examination, I promise you, there's more idols than there is God in your life. When was the last time you actually named something as an idol? You said, this is an idol. 
I've begun to value this more than God. And you actually created a plan in your life to rid it. And you have people holding you accountable to that. If you can't think of a time, then that idol is still there, along with probably many others. We must do the work of self-examination and then complete ridding of. If we want to experience the presence of God, remember, the goal is to draw near to the presence of God. And as long as there's idols in our life, we will never experience the presence of God. Second thing is this, okay? We need a greater treasure. We need a greater treasure. Jesus says, um, he says, seek the kingdom. Provide yourself with treasure in heaven, right? Christ must become our greatest treasure. The way you diminish the power that idols have over you, right, is number one, we rid ourselves of, the bit of them, but then we also increase our treasuring of Christ. We cling to Christ all the more. We strive to find our joy in Christ all the more. We strive to find our pleasure in Christ all the more. The more we have a greater treasure, the less this stuff matters to us. We can easily release our grasp and say, it doesn't matter. It's just stuff. It's just an idea. It's just a hope. It's just a dream. I don't need it. I have an eternal treasure in Christ. I have the fullness of joy. I have pleasures forevermore in Christ. As he becomes a greater treasure, the lesser treasures diminish and fall away. So number one, we do the work of introspection and removal. And number two, we increase our treasuring of Christ. Jesus is the cure for our idolatry. Jesus is the cure for our idolatry. He has crushed our sin. He has reduced it to nothing and removed it completely from us. It's washed away in the brook of his blood. He has raised up something greater in the place of our idols, himself. He's raised himself up as greater than our idols. Because we now have a greater treasure in Christ, we are freed to release our grasp on the trinkets of this world and cling to the true treasure. Christ is the cure for idolatry in every single way. I want to challenge you, flourishing grace, to spend time this week, once again, in introspection, to truly ask yourself, where am I spending my time, my energy, my effort, my money, my thoughts? Pull back the layers of your soul, dig deep and say, men, what are my idols? And then to sit down with a friend and say, here is my idols. Here are my idols. I, I, I think I'm beginning to love this more than I love God. This has crept up my, on my list and this has become more important to me. I'm putting more thought into this than I am in my relationship with Jesus. I'm putting more time into this than I am in my relationship with Jesus. I'm putting more effort and energy into this than I am in my relationship with Jesus. I'm trying to find more passion and find more glory and find more comfort in this than I am in my relationship with Jesus. To sit down with somebody that you trust and say, these are my idols. Now I need to destroy them. Help me hold me accountable and begin to actually rid your life of the idols of our day and then to replace them with Christ to say Christ is going to be my greatest treasure I'm going to devote my life to prayer to the reading of the word to fostering and developing my relationship with him so that I might love him 
and value him more than I value anything in this world. If you cling to Christ with both of your hands, you can't grasp the things of this world. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you right now, and I know we cannot do this without you. Christ is the cure for our idolatry. So give us more of Christ. Give us more of Christ. More of Christ in my mind, more of Christ in my heart, more of Christ in my marriage, more of Christ in my career, more of Christ in my family, more of Christ in my house, more of Christ in, in all things, more of Christ in my bank account, more of Christ in, in my identity, in all things. My, all areas of my life be permeated by Christ. May his glory exude from all things in my life. Would you rid my life of the idols of the day? And fill it with the treasure of Christ, that I might know the fullness of joy, that I might know pleasures forevermore, because the presence of Christ is what fills my life. Would that be true of us at Flourishing Grace? By the power of your Spirit, I pray that over us. Help us. In his sweet name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, Flourishing Grace. Hey. I love you. Make sure you go online and sign up for one of those uh, Grow Together uh, classes. Um, uh, We will be starting those this Wednesday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, We'll see you then.